Hello, and welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your current host, Tony Canyas. And today I have a big panel with me, uh, including the longtime host of the podcast, Nick Lamparelli, uh, and uh, a couple of others, uh, James Riviezo. Riviezo. Uh, I think I did better before we started recording, and Roman Ryan. And today's episode will be uh, different and, and interesting. Basically, back in November, uh, I posted a quick five-minute video saying that I don't care about insure techs as investments. And my main point basically was that, that I, I understand that they have to make a profit eventually in order to survive, like any other organization that's not a nonprofit. Uh, but I'm deeply annoyed at how obsessed we are, and this includes our own insurance nerd Slack channel, uh, with them and, and their performance as investments. Because in, in my world, in, in my view, the, the, important, the most important things that insurance companies do is properly insure the, the, the customer and properly treat the customer uh, and be great employers. And only in a distant third do I worry about, about them as investments, right? Uh, and that's what led to, 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 to today's episode is basically uh james and nick telling me why i'm wrong uh and hopefully roman helping me defend myself uh but i'll, I'll give everybody a little chance to, to to introduce themselves i think the listeners know me tony kenya is one of the co-founders of insurance nerds uh, i rarely talk politics uh but uh i am a long-haired hippie uh pinko commie bastard uh although i think of myself as a social democrat uh but but uh, uh from the U.S. perspective, uh, Pinko Kobe Vester is a good way to put it. Uh, so, so Roman, we'll start with you since, since I think you're on my side. You're, you're a, another long-haired hippie. Uh, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. Yeah, we'll see how much we end up on uh, precisely the same team. Uh, so, yeah, Roman Ryan, I uh, have been sort of a peripatetic strategy person in a variety of industries. Deloitte, PwC, Amazon, Plantronics, and made my way to the insurance industry later in my career. Uh, first at a mutual, which we'll maybe talk about that, that framing of insurance companies at some point uh, today. And then uh, uh, at an insure tech at Vouch. Uh, now I'm a consultant and writer. Uh, very excited to chat about all this. I think it's pretty interesting in the risk space, especially this question. Uh, we'll leave Nick for last since since, uh, since he's probably known by the audience. Uh, James. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for having me here. My name is James Rubiezzo. I currently lead business development for Breeza. We are a insure tech company that has built a unified API for small business commercial insurance. My background uh, is um, pretty interesting in the sense that I started my career in a different part of financial services than insurance. I began my career in asset management. I worked for firms like Merrill Lynch and UBS and made my way to the insurance sector um, in, uh, oh, about almost 15 years ago, uh, starting at a company called Genworth and then moving to Marsh, Safety National, AIG, and now uh, firmly in the insured tech space with, with Breeza. Um, I guess if you're gonna identify as a commie pinko, Tony, um, I probably was one of the people you were railing against in Occupy Wall Street um, as a former uh, asset management person, but uh, I'll call myself the conflicted capitalist here today. I, I love that description, by the way. I absolutely love that description. So 
Uh, Nick. So hi, everyone. I'm a former host of Profiles and Risk. I am a longtime insurance nerd and uh, currently just doing some strategic advising until uh, more news to come on that. And um, I would, I would um, if Tony is the Pinko Kami, I'm actually not on the other team. I'm on my own team. So I am definitively libertarian uh, capitalist. And I think that's the, that's the only long-term scalable position that actually works. So I said it. Uh, so, and, and we are recording. Thank you everybody for introducing yourselves. We are recording on an interesting day. It's January 22nd, 2022. Uh, and just a couple of days ago, Root downsized 330 people. Uh, it's the first big insure tech downsizing I've seen recently. Uh, and all of the, of the, of the main post IPO insure techs are, you know, in the, their stock price in the toilet basically, right? Like, I don't think a single one of, of, of them are actually above where, where they IPO'd whenever they IPO'd in the last couple of years. Uh, so as investments, they, they, they definitely thus far have, have, have not paid off. Uh, so that, 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 that is what it, what it is. Um, well, you should probably segment this by saying they may have uh, been a good payoff for the initial venture capitalists and seed investors for those companies. But once they entered into the secondary market for institutional buyers, as well as individual investors, they have been thus far poor performers. And, and, and I've, I've got to say, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the lemonade one, lemonade one especially, if I'm not mistaken, somehow it was underwritten in such a way that the founders were able to get out very, very quickly. Well, normally there's like a six month delay before founders can sell, or am I incorrect in, in saying that? That's no, that's not, that's not exactly what happened. It, it was a, it was a traditional, um, mechanism, timing mechanism. And, um, what, what happened, Tony was around the time that, um, they had the opportunity to begin divesting their shares. Um, all of the quote-unquote meme stock, um, that paradigm started occurring where you had, um, I'll blame, you know, the, like the Robin Hood um, investors that were all bandying together and basically driving up the value of these uh, disruptive, revolutionary, and even stocks that were being short-squeezed. They were banding together to move the market, and they moved lemon up to significant valuation, like upwards of $10 billion. So smartly, the leadership of Lemonade did a second offering. And it was that second offering that the um, original investors were able to slide their shares in and make their shares available to the public. So they got out with it on an, on an incredible deal, but it was the investment world that uh, planted the seeds that, that was a fertilizer that allowed that. To happen. Okay. Thank you for correcting me on, on that. I'll, I'll, I'll quit bad mouthing them uh, for, for, for that move then. Yeah, there that, there that, are, that there are pl plenty of other things to bad mouth them about. <laughs> I, I am actively pursuing them as, 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 a, as a client in my, in my new role. 
Uh, so I do have to be a little bit more careful with the money that I, that I used to be. They're not uh, here to defend themselves either, so it's unfair. Cor cor correct, correct. Uh, I still think their UI is beautiful. Uh, and and I, I will say, I had a conversation yesterday with a traditional insurance person that's now working there at a fairly leadership role and been there for a year and a half, and she's loving it. Like, like, like she feels that she's being treated really well and, and that she loves how the company is working. So, I'm so, sure. so uh, I'm again, sure. in, in, on, on, on that side, they... they they, they fall on my good side, right? Since I care more about how are you treating your employees that, than is your, as, an, as an investment. So, so, so I'll, I'll give them credit where, where, where I think they deserve credit. Um, so so I, I, either, either, either Nick or, or James or, or Roman, if, if, if you agree with them, feel free to, to pile up. Uh, but why, why does it matter how they're doing as, as, as investments from your perspectives? I'll start. Who wants, take, who wants to take this one? I'll start. I'll start. Um, so why does it matter? Um, it matters more in some cases than in other cases. In this case, it matters greatly because um, it was venture funded, right? I think that that changes the dynamic quite a bit. And the, uh, the poor performance was... Um, I, I, I'm not patting myself on the back for predicting this. The poor performance is because it's, it's got a poor business model, right? And so there was an incredible, you know, I wrote the article, Don't Believe the Hype, when they um, were initially doing their seed to Series A funding. And I saw the hype to begin with, and it was, Tony, a lot, uh, it, it, quite, it was quite a bit, basically pulling, checking the boxes of all the things that um, I guess a younger generation would tickle someone like yourself, right? It's just like, hey, look at us. Um, we're going to be a different insurance company. This isn't our money. Um, we're, you know, we're, we have no incentive to not pay claims. Uh, we're going to peer fund this thing. Like they were just like checking off all the boxes to to me to build up the hype around it. But when you kind of dug in a little bit, it was just like, but they don't have a business model. Like there's there's not enough there. There's not enough there to justify the venture element. If if those folks wanted to go on go it at on their own, on their own dime with massive skin in the game, they're completely different story. But once it became venture, you I started this, so I'm a capitalist at true heart, but I would say that th this is one of the side elements of caveat emptor, right? Like this buyer beware around this. Um, they were checking boxes and pulling levers to get people to hype it up so that they could make it venture worthy and get it to the finish line where they could get out that was obvious to me, but I think there's an entire there was an entire generation of people that were completely fooled by all of the messaging, and it was just like they 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 didn't want to do the homework to kind of dig into the details around that, and I think they're getting exactly what they asked for. This is the true nature of capitalism. They bought a story 
that wasn't true. Now they're going to suffer the consequences for it. And rightly so. And maybe they'll learn their lesson and they won't happen again, but it will. I, I've got so to say, that's why I, I ate, ate, I ate it. I ate the line hook, line and sinker. I think, I think it's the saying, I'm not a fisherman. Uh, but, but, uh, yes, the, the, like, like the, the, the millennial honey they were putting out, uh, marketing wise, I completely, uh, bought it. Uh, and I think I now understand why you saw from the beginning, what I didn't see, which is, uh, I kind of thought that, that, it, that, it, that it would, it would be a, uh, not a venture play that, that, that it would be right. They're building really, really cool UI. Eventually they'll get acquired by, by, by a carrier for, 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 for the UI. And finally we'll modernize our, 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 our UI, right. It'll, it'll wake carriers up in that they need much better UI basically. Uh, and that happened, that happened. So, so, you know, Tony, one, one thing I try to do when I, um, evaluate, um, businesses, they try to figure out what is the value that they're bringing to the table. That is extremely important. There's no doubt the things that you talked about at the very beginning, you know, are they servicing their customers and do they treat their employees? Well, that's important to me too. How much value are they bringing to the table, to society, right? But in terms of like an actual investment or the quality of the business, it's really how much of that value they capture that's important, right? And so I even stated in my article that I thought that they would be able to deliver value, right, to pot potential stakeholders, but a real good investment and a real good business delivers values to multiple stakeholders, including investors, and it generates a flywheel where it can endure going forward. I'm uh, um, Mike, Micah Cooper and I were on, on a private DM on Slack and he was asking me if I was gonna jump into Root. And I said, I, I don't think so. Like I, Root might be on the negative death spiral. Like Root may not be salvageable. It's, it's not a good business. And um, that's the problem when you, when you focus your value proposition on a potential set of stakeholders and not all stakeholders is that I think Root's gonna, Root might be fatal. Um, Lemonade is going to be in trouble. Lemonade is burning so much capital. They're gonna have to go out and raise more capital, which is gonna put more downward pressure on the stock price. I don't think they're doing their customer base or their employees any favors. Like I think it's, it's I can almost see a game of musical chairs where at some point, if you can't get the capital to keep coming in, it's going to fall off a cliff. And that is, and it's the end story. The, the game's over for them. So my, my view of these kinds of investments is that ultimately the investors have to win somehow in this because you want them to so that they can continuously feed more capital so you can keep growing and keep delivering that value to those other stakeholders. It's a flywheel. It, it has to have that particular dynamic. If one piece is missing, then the flywheel just does not have the, the same momentum. And there's almost, there's almost like a, like a hypocrisy that goes into the term InsureTech and the sort of marketing notions of a company like Lemonade, where like the key value proposition of an insurance company 
certainly technology is important, but we're not talking about like a pharmaceutical company where the the like tech inside of the pill is the key thing. Like doing a holistic thing that like includes money and technology in the insurance space. It's not uh, it's not purely reliant on technology in the same way that uh, a company like uh, like a pure software company is. And in that way, I don't think it responds to the dynamics of the venture space in the same way that other plays do. And you end up putting a lot of people who don't understand that in like a difficult position when you convince them that you actually are something that you're not. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, what I hear from what I hear from Nick is this idea and premise that, um, you know, the insure tech moniker is a pretty broad brush that a lot of different companies get painted with. Um, and, you know, they have to have a, a real salient business model or a differentiating factor to warrant not only private investors, but also the trust of public investors that might buy a slice of that ownership uh, in the public markets for those companies that have exited private ownership, if you will, um, and taken advantage of uh, SPACs or other IPO mechanisms to become publicly traded companies. It's a little bit of a deal with the devil in a sense, right? You, know, you have to figure that keeping your private status and using private funding through venture capital uh, entities or private equity or whatever the source of that capital may be, shields you from the scrutiny that a lot of these entities are now uh, experiencing. Um, so I just, I find that aspect a little bit intriguing as well. Um, so maybe uh, yeah. out there. So I, I, I'm a big fan of the, of the mutual model or at least the idea of the mutual model. And I think Roman is, is right there with me. In fact, he's a lot more knowledgeable about the mutual model based on, re on reading his, his blog. Uh, would it have been possible uh, is, is it possible to build a risk-carrying insure tech, you know, probably starting as an MGA and eventually growing into an actual carrier uh, without venture? Like, like it, do it slowly kind, kind of thing, like, like bootstrap it slowly, uh, use only insure, or, 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 or maybe like funded by, uh, by one of the carrier uh one of the one of the carrier venture funds, right? Not like true like meets exponential growth growth venture. Is is it? Well, possible? those those funds have the same expectations that regular old venture capitalists do. Uh, so that's not a yeah, right so, uh, down. But so you could. There, there is uh, a way Roman, to build Roman, them. There, <laughs> Roman, I was just gonna say like they they're all, they they all come from Goldman and and those companies as well so like yeah. they have the exact same mindset okay so 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 not not through them is it no, possible that debt, debt, for example if you were to start say you were to start a mutual and you had a long enough time horizon to have mm -hmm. the patience for that there's no way you're going to build it up as quick as facebook but of course like, yeah and you look at state farm and the big mutuals today like they built up over 100 plus years in most cases um, and you could start a town mutual in Wisconsin, for example, with $200,000 in a bank account. You don't need millions of dollars. Uh, and you can get that through debt or grants. But I, I don't think you end up with the same incentives as you get if you're a founder of an insure tech. 
and you end up in a situation where uh, it's you can't spend the same money on software development to be the tech side if you only have two hundred thousand in bank account that is meant to be risk capital. So, no, but, but so maybe so, so. Let's maybe say this I, is a uh, maybe this is a uh, an on off ramp conversation, but I, I do find it interesting that um, you know I think clearly. Many of the companies that put themselves um, in the insure tech category are structured as MGAs. They're accessing um, essentially someone else's balance sheet, but probably bring to the table the idea of a better business model. To Tony's point, um, maybe a better UI or interface with customers, maybe a better technology towards customer acquisition or customer service. And, And I have no problem with that because you're essentially putting a front door on a legacy carrier's paper and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and capital base, but serving customers in a better way. And, and I have absolutely no problem. I, when you think about the mutual benefit that, um, that occurs in that kind of paradigm, everybody kind of wins. The MGA wins because they're acquiring customers, maybe faster, maybe they've figured out a better way to service customers' needs. And then the backing paper, if, as long as the, uh, the the loss ratios are, are, are looking healthy, it, it's a win-win scenario. What's confusing to me with my background um, that maybe um, uh, skews some of this is I, have, I, I just don't understand why many of these enterprises are pursuing the idea of becoming a full stack carrier and uh, taking on the need for uh, you know the, the increased capital re- uh, reserving and, and, and the complexity of becoming a uh, you know, essentially, they want to be in the same category as those legacy carriers that they're looking to essentially partner with or beat. Um, so that's something because that's of TAMs. What's that? Everybody needs to get their TAM to be as high as possible. And uh, that's how you raise the big money, even if you're not actually going from zero to one in your business model. That's, that's true, Roman. Um, but I think, uh, like, I think Lemonade actually limited their TAM by becoming a carrier, right? I don't think there's anything they did that they couldn't have done better, faster, um, or more more broadly. Like, I think, uh, Tony, I think Lemonade's Lemonade's structure, right? So what they were trying to do, like think of of the checkboxes they were going after. If If they had gone the MGA model or the brokerage model, it would have been a better fit. Right, because their their entire thesis was around like, you know, you're the aren't you the one that took the picture of the cab in New York City with like, hey, we pay our claims. We're we're not a traditional insurance company. We actually pay our claims because it's not our money. That kind of um, that that kind of philosophy is a broker's philosophy, right? Like they are indifferent to it, and they will, you know, their ability to use technology to connect buyer you know, uh, supply and demand, I think would have fit so much better. And I view the MGA, Roman, I view the MGA model as having more ability. Like think of if Lemonade actually had like multiple carriers that they were partnering with, right? right? The amount of, now they can actually go after that growth Mm -hmm. in that way, right? Um, and I think they'd be more secure and they wouldn't have needed to raise all of that capital to start this carrier. Now I think that carrier is like an, ab- uh, um, an albatross around their neck. It's really yeah. dragging, dragging them down. 
yeah. you know, all of the leads that they generate that don't fit into that carrier, they basically have to throw it away. Like, right. holy crap, it's ex so expensive to find a customer. They're doing all of this heavy lifting and hard work to get a potential customer. Yeah. And most of them will, may not qualify. A lot of them will not qualify to be a customer. That that right, that just kind of breaks the dynamic down. So oh, it's yeah. a great point, Nick. It's not just Tam. It's also the number of cents on the value chain dollar that they claimed early on irrationally that they could own. Right. And you get too excited about being able to do everything and fix everything. Uh, I think in some of these situations. Yeah. 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 So, so it, it my um, my my fear my fear perpetually going backwards was that I, I just struggled to see insurance as a venture worthy business in the traditional sense. If you look at you, best case scenario, best case scenario with uh, lemonade, right? Successful, profitable. What are their margins? Like, do we even if their margins are better than the average homeowner's insurance company, right? Those margins are paltry, right? And so they're only like, they're only scratching off a few extra basis points. And Roman, as you said, there's at a dollar premium, there's only so much bandwidth that you can squeeze out of that thing. Exactly. So the difference between like a tech venture is that there's some promise of huge TAM, huge market share, and like 80% margins on your the software or the the you know the um, SaaS model that you're building. There's no equivalent in insurance because the cost of goods sold, your claims, is always going to consume a significant chunk of your dollar of premium, and then the distribution cost is going to consume another big chunk of that, and then you got like this much left over. And that oh Nick, you're making you're making Tony's point. You're making his point because insurtechs as investments are not that interesting as a result. <laughs> because, I agree with that. Because like uh, if you're building a mutual from scratch, that's pretty interesting because it's weird and maybe no one could do it. If you're building like a blockchain based thing that doesn't have venture capital investment, that's potentially pretty interesting. But we do those things even fall into the insurtech category? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But you got, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I look at when, um, when I examine the, you know, the cross section of insure tech, I've only seen a few that have sort of struck me as like, that's got potential, right? And the potential that you're looking for is something where they're in a space where they can make a significant value contribution. I'll, I'll, I'll name one um, that, you know, Tony's familiar with, but I'll name Ben and Kiva because I'm, I'm close with them and I've watched them up close. Um, they, they were getting into a space that was not sexy, even in an insurtech standpoint, which was like life insurance claims, right? Right there, like that, that got me really excited because it's like, there's going to be no other competitors <laughs> that are going to come into that. It's like so boring. But we talk to Brent, talk to Bobby about that space. And it is like 1950. You know, like you, you're surprised, like it, it, it almost sounds like they're using vacuum tubes to manage the processing of life insurance claims. 
and it was a lot more the the whole thing was a lot more um i don't want to say complex it was a lot more um the customer satisfaction element of it was so poor right uh there were the situations where people would die and no one wouldn't even know they had life insurance like that sucks right or there'd be um a delay in the payment of um of the check um but brent had that great story of why he started benakiva which was that he sold them that life insurance policy the person died and he as the salesperson was never informed about that so he couldn't advise them and by the time he reached them they had already made like some significant financial decisions with the payout to that money so the whole process was like really clunky and broken so they they come in and they can i see them as potentially being like the default standard like re basically redesigning the whole standard where every life insurance company almost has to use their technology in order to raise their game that's the kind of thing i would look for in in an investment like the tech has to actually do tech stuff like make a significant leap and have economic fundamentals where you can continuously acquire more business, but the cost to acquire that business or the cost to service that business does not grow linearly with the, with the business that's coming in. That's a venture-worthy business. Like those are, those are the kind of curves you wanna see. And technology was supposed to do that for insurance and it has, it has not really done that. So by, uh, I, uh, by, by and far, I think they're really bad investments. I think um, I've, I've kind of publicly, uh, I always give attribution where, where attribution is deserved. Um, I think it's our friends at uh, Coverager. I don't know if it's Avi or, or who it is over there that has made the statement that, you know, legacy insurance companies have a distribution problem and that has translated into the insure tech space as a business model problem, right? And I think that's what I'm hearing you say, Nick, is that a lot of these enterprises, and we don't have to name names, are essentially built on a little bit of soft sand, right? There isn't a strong foundation for a business model that can actually be effective uh, and either sold back or acquired or ingested by the legacy industry to actually make those a worthwhile in investment. Um, if that's yeah. what I think. That's I what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think, but I think a lot of this is obviously fueled by um, the fundamentals of the environment that we're in right now, which is that money and the cost of capital is essentially free. Um, and and I, maybe it was uh, not the right forum, Tony, to make the argument when you said there, you know, I don't care about insure techs as investments. There I said it, I think it was your, your quote, uh, and I took the opposing view to this. Um, I was, in, I'm informed by, I guess, the way that I was educated, I, I majored in economics, which, you know, pretty boring, pretty sleepy, but what is economics? It's, you know, the study of man's unlimited wants, needs, and desires faced with the conflict of limited resources. And I guess I get offended back on that premise of bad business plans or business models. I get offended because there is, in theory, a limited amount of capital that can go into funding. And this is in the venture space or the seed space. There's a limited amount of capital that can go into funding good ideas and enhancements to technology and legacy industries. We see that across all different segments and sectors. And when you see some of the valuations, even in the private 
market right now where there's, you know, unicorns galore in the private insure tech space. And we all consume the same media. And we see the announcements and we see the valuations. It's, it's pretty staggering. Um, you know, you can get a little offended at some point. And I'm not speaking for myself or my own company, but there's a limited amount of capital. And I think there are far more deserving enterprises and ideas than others, but we're in a uh, carnival atmosphere right now where money is free. And um, if you or I raised a fund, if the four of us together decided to raise a fund, even the, you know, a million dollars, and where are we gonna divide that million dollars in investments? There are more, more deserving candidates that, than, than others, right? I think that's a pretty easy premise to come upon, but you're seeing right now money kind of being thrown at anything that moves. And um, I think that's a tragedy. Like, and that, that should offend all of us who want to invest in this industry and make it a better place. Like, I think it could be better allocated is, is I guess the premise that, that, that I kind of stand on. And when you see now how those um, ex exorbitantly funded companies based on a pretty poor business plan have then had the ability to go into the public markets to Nick's point, I think they're getting what they deserve, you know, um, in, in that regard. And I feel very, um, I feel very bad for the people that work for companies like Root, the announcement the other day. No one, and especially myself, I don't want to see people out of jobs. Um, I, I don't want companies to fail for the sake of failing, but maybe they never should have gotten to the point where they were in the first place, which is just an interesting conversation that I don't, I don't know if enough of us are having in, in this industry. Um, I think people should be rewarded, rewarded for taking risks. We want entrepreneurs to raise their hand and jump into the fray, but not every not every idea deserves four hundred and eighty million dollars in funding, probably. Well, I think we're talking about the difference between gambling and risk. Like, there's a difference between looking at a house in a place and saying, like, these are the this is the way we evaluate the chances that this house is going to burn down, and the difference between that and saying, like. I'm going to put, I'm at the casino and I'm going to put money on different shit on different numbers and hope for one of those numbers to hit and get a huge payout. And I think like one of the challenges that the insurance industry faces in general, and you all can disagree, but like, I think the way that risk is framed by the insurance industry, we could do a better job of articulating to people that like the deliberate decisions that are made around risk and then the payouts that are made to people based on those risk choices are meant to like maintain a healthy society um, and like a community that when houses burn down, like people have money to build them again. Um, so I think a lot about like that, like narrative and the way that people like interact with that narrative. And I don't think it's incompatible with like sort of the libertarian capitalism ideal necessarily but i do think there's like it's a not need to like translate yeah. you no know? i i'd love it's, to see a return to to that i i'd love to see uh the the, the birth of a of a technology first mutual that that makes getting insurance beautifully easy that treats its employees well and that is not hurrying for exponential growth, which in our industry is just not a good idea. Your book never does well with exponential growth. Uh, is that just not possible in, 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 our, 
in, in, in our current environment, even though capital is basically oh. free? Oh, I, I think it's possible. I mean, um, you know, I'll, I'll have more news on that soon. Um, but Nick's to using Roman's this as a point, promo. Nick's teasing right now. He's teasing. <laughs> building, building up the drama. Um, to, to Roman's point, like um, when, when I started my MGA, that was Roman, that was pretty much the playbook I did, right? Which was, um, I started with the claims. I was like, what claims do I want to focus on? Can I get a competitive advantage in forecasting or predicting those claims? And then I worked backwards to what sort of product and how would I deliver it? And who would I deliver it to? Can I make all of the numbers kind of work out? And the, this is just, uh, um, I think, going to be the, the long-term challenge for insurance is that not everybody is our customer, right? So this, um, you have a pool of money, right, that's used to pay your claims. And I think it's really incumbent upon the company to make sure that the wrong people don't get access to that pool of money. So there's always been that conflict in insurance of making sure that the pool goes to who was going to pay. But I think that conflict has sort of perpetuated itself for so long now that it's a, um, it's a standard that there's a lack of trust between policyholder and carrier. And that was one of the things that I liked about Lemonade was trying to to raise the level of trust on that. So break down those walls, lay, raise the level of trust. Um, and I think technology can go a long ways to doing that, but it still does not change the fact that, Tony, as you said, you can't have exponential growth. You have a pool of funds. You can't grow so fast. Like you can't grow your pool fast, the pool of people that get access to those funds faster than the funds. And that becomes extremely challenging. And one of the things that is very interesting about insurance is insurance does not have winner-take-all um, economics not at all. around that. There is not enough capital in the world to pay all the claims. Insurance, the scalable, the beautiful business element of insurance is the law of large numbers. But there's a cap, right? Like I worked at a carrier, a global carrier, where our cumulative global risk, if you add up every policy, was in the trillions of dollars, but they they basically a $5 billion event would have knocked them out of business. Right. That's the scaling benefit of insurance with the law of large numbers. That's but right. that that is just absolutely, it's a ginormous exposure that's out there. And we're trying to maximize like a small pool of funding to to or, optimize, you know, how or, that's going to Or set a number way, another way, if you took the top 10 carriers in the United States and examined their market share, they all have single digit market share. There is no one insurance carrier or risk provider that has an exorbitant amount of market share in that business. And that's probably a good thing. To, it's a to, good to, thing. Yeah. yeah. It builds resilience in the system, thing. to be sure. That's right. Yeah, it, it protects the system, right? And so that uh, the for insurance, like it's, there is somewhat of a social obligation, right? Sure. Like 
there's an element of that of like, hey, we're supposed to be to protect you when things go really, really bad. Yes. You want to say hi? Say hi. Okay. Go back in. Um, yeah. I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> um, there's there's that element of like it's supposed to protect society, right? And we have an entire regulatory structure to make sure that that happens and things often go bad because there is not enough money, right, to to go around. And so how do you manage all of that? There is no there is no right answer. It's what's most optimal to do that. So so any investor that's any investor, like, and I've seen this so often, like you, you start to pitch to an investor and they're, Roman, they're looking at the TAM and I'm perplexed by that because it's like that TAM is not available. Like there's not enough capital to get that TAM. I'm looking yep. for a sliver yep. of that. And yeah, people think um, marketing is just something that happens, but it, it's like expensive. <laughs> marketing is expensive the claims are expensive and then we get back to like there's only like this much money left in the system so it comes down to for, uh, from an investment standpoint you kind of uh, um, get back to like where we started it, insure tech as an investment the vast majority of them are not going to be the next uber or like they just don't have that potential right so investors really got to damp down their expectations expectations on these things. The expectations are just, just absolutely ridiculous. The, the lemonade thing was just so out of the ordinary because they were a carrier that was getting paid like a broker, right? They were using their premium as revenue figures and like showing investors the premium as revenue. But the lucrative element of the business was the 25% take on that. That was very deceiving. Yep. Like to me, it was like, that's, that's one way I saw the, the management team deceiving investors. It's like, holy crap, they got $250 million of premium and they're growing at 100% a year. It's like, yeah, but they're only getting 25% of that, right? And, and if they, they need to grow so much faster at a $10 billion valuation of 25% of 250 million, like that is a ridiculous expectation what this company is going to do so that's that was my big frustration tony well and i, think, I don't think, I think that's capitalism. Tech, i think the insure tech revolution is going to be similar to the demutualization revolution because mutual is not a silver bullet to taking care of customers it turns out that when there's a big pool available and you have management they find out that they can have private planes and pay themselves a lot there's some pretty good Boston Globe articles from the early 2000s about this. That's right. <laughs> but like the demutualization revolution was basically a governance revolution in insurance. Right. And, you know, whether you were a mutual or a stock company, I think you ended up having to have higher standards of governance after sure. that was happening. Because, sure. you know, as we all know, asset managers have a little bit more of a hammer than policyholders do over their, uh, their holdings. And then I think the insure tech revolution is going to put pressure on insurance companies, even if these insure techs don't become like the big insurance companies, mm. to I think like what you were saying, Nick, about having better customer experiences and um, being, you know, companies that develop technology that's eminently available 
and uh, make it available to their customers. I think we'll see the risk industry become like a little bit more sophisticated because of this like incoming force that is, you know, no probably a lot of press noise, but also sure. some reality. Will, will the VCs get the, the five years from now or, or whenever eventually like understand, okay, there is no insurance play that exponentially that, that can provide exponential profits that the way that, that we want in our business, will they just walk away from, from, from insurance investments? And if so, uh, no, not. they won't, they won't learn the lesson. <laughs> I hope not. They won't, but no, I hope not. Uh, uh, no, they won't. They won't, Tony. I, I think I think we're already seeing um, a change. Uh, some of the insurance, um, you know, the the internal insurance venture um, pools um, haven't spoken to them recently. There is a, I think, a dynamical change that's occurring, and I think one one thing that they they are looking for is to try to figure out how to potentially complement elements of their business with the tech, right? Exactly. So it's like, we'll make this investment in you, right? Sure, like we want you to succeed. One way we can guarantee you succeed is to bring you in-house and you know, we'll act as one of your customers around that or you know, figuring out like how one plus one equals three in sure. that kind of dynamic. Um, but but I think in, I think deep down though I think they are still I think they do still want like the massive returns but I think they're coming coming to grips that for the for the, like a lot of the risk bearing stuff it's just not possible. Tony, I, I think what I hear you kind of asking is this question around um, or or you know, let me back up. I, I think. We all are aware that legacy insurance carriers, for example, have their own CBC arms. They're making lots of investments in the insured tech space. I think that's appropriate and there will be winners and losers as there should be in that element. I think we've all seen that there has been a lot of money that has come from outside the domain of insurance looking for either quick wins, fast wins, or you know, to Roman's comment, you know, the casino element of perhaps a quick turn, something easy, um, and um, you know, people kind of getting over their skis a little bit and not having the, the, the expertise of the risk that's actually inherent in our broad industry, right? I'm just speaking on a very broad brush perspective. I, I heard Nick earlier use the phrase or, or the term, you know, cost of goods sold. People need to understand this is the only, or one of the only industries where as an insurer, you know, a, a capital bearing insurer, you at the point of sale, you never know what your true cost of goods sold really is. And, and that's fundamentally different than so many other businesses or, or enterprises. So I, I hope that there is um, continued investment in our industry from uh, responsible players. I, I guess my uh, area of concern is whether we'll still see more people kind of getting outside of their domain of expertise and making very large investments and then thus inflating the value either in the private or public market of companies that have a technology bend that are trying to improve our industry, which is called insurance. Well, that probably will always be one of the costs of being in our type of capital flowing system is that herds will run and many of the members of the herd will run over cliffs, but ideally like it'll be like what happened in banking 
like 10 years before insurance where people realized that building a bank from scratch wasn't going to knock JP Morgan off of, off of its tower or whatever. Uh, and instead yeah. you had to build things that were going to be useful components for these companies were addressing some need that nobody was thinking about and like actually finding like sort of blue ocean strategy style value innovation yeah. opportunities yeah. instead exactly. of just yeah. saying like exactly with VC money, then we will be, you know, X. And who knows? I'm I'm actually pretty interested in like some of the, you know, decentralized finance stuff in insurance and banking. Mm -hmm. But I do I think I think there's going to be interesting things that happen there, um, especially the ones that aren't venture funded. Um, who knows what regulators and you know the FBI will do about some of those things? I was I was wondering how long it was going to take for someone to bring up the blockchain here. I was just just wondering. Uh, but I think there's potentially interesting things there, just like really at the fundamental level, instead of like in the venture, if we're talking about like venture investment and insure tech ecosystem. You know, I, I, I don't have predictive powers. Um, that's probably a very good thing. But Tony, when, when this conversation started online um, several months ago, you know, your comment was, you know, I don't think that we should, you know, care whether insure techs are good investments or bad. And I, I think this week um, has brought forth two really interesting news stories with two very different um, paradigms, right? You have the root news, which is terrible. No one wants to see our uh, colleagues uh, without jobs, 300 plus jobs eliminated in claims and sales and customer support roles. Um, uh, a, a statement from root, which I don't know anyone at Root. I, I'm not bad mouthing Root, but you know their comments were, you know, inflationary pressures and the continued uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic have put pressures on their business. Okay, and then we also have Travelers, a company coming out saying earnings off the charts. We're getting a rate. We're finding efficiencies on writing new business. Right, uh, a 100 and I don't even know 125 year old. Uh, slow, stodgy, old legacy company doing really well. The, the shares went up. Um, it was great news. Everyone could celebrate. They're both insure tech companies. You can't say that Travelers is not making investments in technology. It's just that we see them through different lenses. And I think we should care for both. We should care in both paradigms that those enterprises are doing well because it, it feeds back into the thing that you said that you were concerned about, right? Are policyholders being taken care of? Are claims being paid? And on the employee level, are people being taken care of and treated well? I think people are waking up, if you're a traveler's employee, you feel pretty darn good that your job's not going away tomorrow. Um, but if you're working for Root, yeah, it's so, a new day. Yeah, yeah. Without, without, a, without a decent return, you can't take care of one and two, right? And so you need all three. It's extremely important to have all three. And, and I would say to, to anyone that's listening, that's like on the early stages of a insure tech, like, I think you need the third part. Like you need to have returns or have a route to profitability pretty early on. Cause I think it, we aren't stupid. Insurance has been around for a long time. It, it, it's almost like um, these folks are just like, um, just discovering that you can grow quickly in insurance. Like, no, that's been around for a long time and it's never worked, right? Like we've already learned that lesson. These technologists come in, it's just like, oh, we're gonna grow really fast. And then we'll flip a switch and we'll be like Amazon. Like that doesn't work. And 
you I think you see the signs of it with something with root in that it um, that was pretty quick, right? And you know they could be in a death spiral here where they lose the rest of it as well. So you have to have that profitability return element very early on because um, it's gonna it's gonna feed the machine so that you can keep paying claims. You can pay more claims. You can have more policyholders and take care of them and you can take care of your employees because I'm with you on that. They, they are indeed a stakeholder in this. And I don't think you can get profitability without taking care of your policyholders and taking care of your employees. They all, it's a it's symbiotic um, ecosystem between, between those. And so I, I think that's a, that is a very important element, Tony, that we have discussed in the past about, you know, things around capitalism and what we learned about capitalism in the 20th century was once, you know, once we got to the latter part, there was a pivot towards, we got to do better, right? We need to be better stewards, better stake, treat our stakeholders better, our customers and our um, employees. And I think the technological revolution really led the way there. And that is a good thing. Lemonade brought, uh, Lemonade and companies like that, they brought a lot of value. There's no doubt. R Roman, to, to your point, um, everybody was watching them. And now you got even the, the big companies are trying to minimize the number of questions they ask, try to make it easier, reduce the friction. I, the, they have definitely brought value to the table. And that's a, that's a very important component to the whole equation. Yeah. Well, my hope is like that the next revolution after this like technology revolution is the risk reduction revolution where claims departments are actually talking to underwriters about why bad stuff happens, where people are starting to figure out like whether it's reinsurers, insurance companies, or VCs, like investing in things that are going to like, in, like actually change the risks that are unfolding yeah. um, because there's so much to be done there beyond just investing in like, oh, let's start some more insurance companies. There's like real work to be done preventing flooding. There's real work to be done, like making buildings more resilient to wildfire. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. And there's like actual, not and, only- like And beyond. Just, totally, right. And it's not just nonprofit so government work. There's money to be made even today in this stuff. So Roman, that gets to a thesis that I have, right? So if you, we, we, we talked about that dynamic of the combined ratio. And one of the problems that insurance companies have recognized over time is that, so that, you know, there's a difference between a loss ratio and loss cost, right? right? So loss cost is the amount of losses that you are going to face on a particular amount of exposure and loss ratio is the amount of loss you would face to the premium that you're charging for that. And I think insurance companies have recognized in the past that, yeah, of course, they want to reduce the lost cost, but it was almost like a, um, it, uh, um, it, it was very imperfect that they would reduce the loss cost and be able to reduce the loss ratio. A lot of times they get the loss cost reduction, but they have to turn over that benefit back to the policyholder and the loss ratio would be right back in the same spot and they're right back to where they're started. But to your point, Roman, I think this, that's what, when I, when I started um, this podcast and I talked about 
how technology, we hit that inflection point with technology, not only is it changing how we operate our businesses, it's changing the exposure. So the amount of technology, right? Whether it's look at all of the sensors that are in cars that make cars so much safer. Like that is a, that can have a dramatic effect on loss costs. On the other hand, we have cell phones that are causing distracted driving. But I, I think of like property insurance with these smart devices. Our ability to reduce internal water damage, we can almost drive that down to zero. Right. Insurance Today, companies could lead, could lead the way on that. And they're totally. sitting on their hands because they are like, well, who's going to pay for this thing? Right. And I had a really interesting conversation with a, um, a private client person a couple weeks ago who had a hundred thousand dollar water claim inside their home and one of the big private client insurers as they were adjusting the claim said hey um as part of the claim we're going to install an automatic water shutoff and he's sitting there scratching his head he's like okay that's great why wouldn't you put that in before the claim that was a hundred thousand dollar claim too late so roman to your point in that combined ratio, one, one thing that we do have is if you can figure out a way to reduce the loss cost and the loss ratio, right, while maintaining the business, right, that's a win-win for everybody. The customer wins, you win, society ultimately ends up winning, especially if we can figure that out for like cat, right, you know, uh, stronger roofs and um, you know, less wildfire risk and stuff like that. So I'm with you 100%. My thesis is the insurance company, the insure tech insurance company of 10 years from now, I just don't see a market where a company can market themselves as like, hey, buy our insurance. Done. No. It has to be buy this thing and insurance comes with it or buy our insurance and we'll bring all of this risk management to the table for you as a benefit, right? It's, you're, I think embedded insurance has to be the wave of the future because by itself as a monoline product, it's, it's an ugly product. Well, and the big question is how to get it to actually happen. Like the way that it's gonna, the pressures are gonna come in for it to happen. I don't think are the same with the insure tech revolution. There has to be other pressures that will force people to engage with the actual yep. risk piece. And I don't know what those are gonna be yet. I'm super interested to find out, but uh, it's not clear how that's gonna unfold, I don't think. Well, I think in the, in, the, in the category of cat, like Nick was just saying, I think you're gonna to start to see, well, I mean, you already have seen large legacy carriers that write property insurance and other lines um, feel the effects of whether you want to call it climate change or not, um, whether it's um, you know uh, wildfires or rising seas or, or or other factors, I mean it's starting to hit the bottom line, um, and it will be interesting interesting to see whether those entities jump into the fray to try to mitigate some of those longer term costs. I mean uh, that's a whole well, podcast probably. Uh, James and I, I've been so careful to not say the word climate change to to uh, to avoid. Uh, a 45 minute uh, Nick getting on, on, on his, what's it called? Uh, milk cart uh, later. Oh, okay. Uh, My soapbox? My soapbox. Wait, is Nick a climate denier? Is he a, is he a denier? Is he a, no. 
Well, 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 James, not to get too political, but if you don't fall in line, you're automatically a denier, even if you have very rational viewpoints on that. But my, so, so James, to what you just said, right? Um, AIG just, AIG private client just announced they're going to non-renew their entire California book. Correct. Right? So if you're a niche player, like, like I fancy myself to be, I view that as an opportunity. The big player can't do it. They're, th they're throwing up, you know, they're waving the flag, right? right. They the flag's on fire, you know, that's why it's, they're it's, waving the flag. Yeah, the flag it is, is It's over for them, right? And so um, Roman, like to me, that's, I think there are a lot of really smart people in insurance. That was one thing always, like when the technologists were coming in, it's like, you guys think we're dumb. We're not dumb, right? What we are is not creative, okay? So I think to Roman, for, for to do the things that we're talking about here, I think there's a creativity, a lack of creativity. And I think a younger generation will potentially bring the creativity in. I think the way technologists think is very creative. And I think that's in, starting to make it an influence in we do need a different way to think creatively about different business models, different product design. That is where I think we have ultimately fallen down. That's been exacerbated by poor technology and other things. But I think at the end of the day, insurance just happened to be one of those businesses where you didn't have to be different. You could, you could be a commodity and still do fairly well and I think those days are over. And, and I actually worry about like the, the county mutual, right? Like what business do they have actually being in business? They offer nothing different. They're gonna really struggle, but they have a balance sheet. You can't disrupt that. So how do they make it available to the public? It's what, Tony, what you said. It's like, they can rent it out to some enterprising firm make it available and that enterprising firm will get them a better return than they ordinarily would have been able to get themselves. And that enterprising firm can generate some return for themselves. So that is my hope, right? But I, th I think we need some creativity, a big, uh, massive paucity of creativity in, this, in our industry. Well, and so many of the issues, the creativity-based issues require big players to engage with them because to the California question, like lobbying and public relations are required to, for a lot of the business models that could exist in order to make them possible because the regulatory environment, uh, you know, it sort of makes people feel like they can't be creative, um, even though that's not exactly a great excuse potentially. And so I think it's most interesting with the risk curve stuff, especially for the big players to say like, okay, instead of leaving California, what, what could we do here? Could we help people build houses that just can't burn down or like Hobbit style houses that can like be built on the ground level? 
I don't know what the answer is, but uh, it's it might so be an economic answer. If you look at homeowners in Florida, right? I mean, that market is just falling apart, right? And the state has to step in and provide coverage. And from my understanding, I mean, the rates the state is charging are three times what the private markets were charging. So maybe it's a mispricing of risk. So at any price, would a market enter a, you know, a space like the California market or, or Florida? I mean, maybe it's a pricing element. I, I don't know. Technology should per certainly play a role here and better risk selection should probably play a role. But we all have talked about, uh, you know, it's just endemic to the world that, that I'm originally from. You know, sometimes risk gets misplaced, uh, the, the mispriced for long periods of time. I mean, right now, cyber is under a very uh, a tight amount of scrutiny. Is there any price by which the private markets should be financing cyber risk? The answer might be absolutely positively no. I don't know, is that through, is that because of risk selection or is it just something that can't even be quantified because back to Nick's point, uh, earlier with talking about you know his his background when you when you add up the cumulative value of what those policies are trying to cover from from a risk perspective it just may be uninsurable I don't I don't know it's 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 interesting yeah I I just I think like like that's such a massive problem I I we we could so we could talk about that for hours it's just such a massive problem and I think part of it is that we're looking for like a scalable solution on day one. And I think that's part of the creativity problem, right? right? So, you know, AIG is kind of stuck, right? Because they already had a big book, but there are players in the California market and I, and I believe that they will be successful and they're just kind of nibbling around the edges. Um, James, you said pricing, the state of California, the Department of Insurance would not allow carriers to use models right. for pricing, right? right? So right. part of it is, it, I would say definitively pricing became problematic because in a, in a market environment, right? Where you're only allowed to use experience, you know, um, in, in an admitted market, um, that's gonna be problematic for, for dynamics that are rapidly changing. And so, but we have enough tools in our toolbox, right? Well, I've, so I've long made the California. argument that, yeah, I've long made the argument that in insurance, we don't need so much more new technology, but we certainly could benefit from better regu regulations. Nobody wants to go to a uh, conference or a panel discussion around insurance regulations. They all want to go to a, a panel discussion around insure tech because the tech thing sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, But the reality is, completely. yeah, yeah. But if you put a gun to my head, right? And you said, Nick, could you build a small book of wildfire risks in California and make it profitable? Absolutely, I could, right? Could I do that at like at a massive scale? scale? I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's possible. But I, there are enough tools that I can go in and just say, um, this, everyone's, everyone's non-renewing this risk or won't write it but this isn't what everyone thinks it is. I, I'm gonna pluck that out. I can build an island of misfit toys around that. I just don't know if I can do it at massive scale. That becomes a problem. And that's another reason why you need hundreds of insurance companies to participate right. in so you can right. spread the risk out enough. Right. But if the, if the state's not, if the state regulatory environment's not willing to play, right? And not willing to allow 
um, the, the risk to get into the premium, you got a problem. And we especially got a problem, Tony, if you're right around things around climate, we got a huge regulatory problem because the regulators are adamantly going to put the brakes on any sort of climate signal getting into premium, right? They're gonna want the insurance but, companies to absorb have an that. adverse effect and then transferring that risk out of the private markets right back into the public markets, right? Well, and I think, I think you end up with a problem of thinking about it from only the insurance pr perspective instead of like the like society and risk perspective, because those risks, like there are probably things that society needs to do to mitigate them and like business models other than insurance that need to be put into play in order to like either help people move, choose not to live in these places, build different types of houses. I don't exactly know what the, what the answer is, but it's not exactly an insurance problem like all the way around. It's partly an insurance problem, obviously, but it's yeah. also, uh, there's Nick other paid me to say, Nick true. paid me to say that that sounds like socialism. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, so so I think I think Florida provides a good example of what could potentially be done, right? So you know, Hurricane Andrew was the big inflection point here in Florida, and as much as the Florida market is really messy, can you imagine how worse it would be if there weren't a series of building code adjustments? And so Correct. my my view on things around climate change and how it affects insurance, my view around catastrophes and how it, uh, how we ultimately figure out solutions around insurance is that we, uh, our, we've evolved so much as, as a human species that we, our technology can rapidly outpace the things that are changing around us rapidly. We can change the building codes. Do do the people uh, that are governing, can they move fast enough to do that? Will they, are they willing to change the building? Because in Florida, it was existential. They had to do that. If they didn't, like the insurance market right now is almost unmanageable here in Florida. It would absolutely be unmanageable if they hadn't made those building code changes, but those building code changes have made a massive improvement on, the, on a functioning insurance market. So to Roman, to your point, like, I, like the, there, is a, there is a role for all of those stakeholders and can we, can we all unite on those things? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. There's such a lack of distrust amongst stakeholders. Everyone thinks the other is out to get them and and we just lack the ability today. To Tony, show that shirt. Show that shirt, Tony. There it is. <laughs> is that Bernie, Tony? Sir, yes, a, a proud Bernie bro. Uh, I'll, I will sadly never see him as 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 the candidate in the general election, but but uh, proud Bernie bro. Well, I think, I think the funny thing is, like the interests are actually, if you look at the numbers, even aligned, like. Society would prefer like wildfires and hurricanes not destroy houses, and so would insurers and reinsurers. And yep. it's a matter of like changing the conversation to be about how do we get those better outcomes to happen yeah. in ways that don't like like violate the way that each of these actors operate. Which, mm -hmm. like you were talking about, it just requires a little bit more creativity than the standard like you are bad versus like 
you know, you are out to destroy us kind of mentalities. Well, yeah. it requires a yeah, long-term yeah. view. And, and I, th I think as a society, it the our financial markets for sure, but as a society, we're so bad at, at having a very short-term view. Agreed. Completely. Humans are horrible at um, long-term prediction, long-term forecasting, long-term planning. Um, they're just, it, it's hard because we, 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 we live in our own drama every day and that and when you're weighting those things like the weight of today just matters so much more than the weight of tomorrow there's there will always be so many things pressing and our ability to priority prioritize things gets very challenging but roman i i i um i am privy to some things that are going on that i think would be very pleasing around what you what you and tony just described um, I think you will, I think there's enough, I think there's some momentum around really global enterprises that are, that are figuring that out, that are saying, you know, our long-term business model really depends on long-term stability of these risk markets. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're leaping over the entire insurance ecosystem and going down to truly the community level. Like, so you can think of like a paradise in California going down to that kind of community and just saying, we are willing to put our balance sheet on the hook to help you get around this. But in order for us to put our balance sheet on the hook, you need to make a long-term commitment to us, but mm. more importantly, to the solution of, you know, trimming the trees or whatever it is that's going to that's going to reduce the risk. Breaking the forest. So that Breaking the forest. That alignment of that alignment of interests, right? And getting everybody's time scales to the same prioritization. I think I, I do think, Roman, I do think like we as insurance professionals, we have influence in this, right? It, it's a it's a lack of creativity or a lack of um, gumption. I don't know what the word is. It's a lack of um, Intestinal you know, fire in the belly, yeah. To to do that because like you know we're worried about like making quota for this quarter and this year versus that long term thing. But I I think we I think we all agree on that um, from 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 that particular perspective. Okay, uh, we're running out of time here. I, I want to get you guys out on time. Fantastically interesting discussion. Uh, thank you, everybody, for 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 agreeing to do it. I, I you know, four people podcasts are much harder to schedule than normal, so it took me a couple months to, to get to get it down. Uh, when it goes live, I will tag everybody on the on LinkedIn. Uh, but a really fantastic d d discussion. Um, thank you, everybody. Tony, thanks for having me, and uh, Nick and uh, Roman, thanks so much. It was great. Great, great, yeah, great conversation, great. guys.